Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. First Kings 18, uh, starting with verse number 30 this evening. First Kings 18, verse number 30. I don't have no stories to tell like Sunday night. I must have got it all out of my system. And so we are, we're probably in better, better ground as a result of that. First Kings 18, verse 30, starting. The Bible says, and Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. And to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and looked up the water that was in the trench. If you'll afford me just a little time here this evening, and I will be mindful of your time. I want to just minister very simply this, staying with the theme of prayer for the month of May. People, you may be counting, but after tonight, we have three more times. Amen to that. Amen. But staying with the theme of prayer for this month, I want to preach this. Repair the altar. Repair the altar. Hallelujah. Can we pray together and ask God to touch us one more time? God, I'm asking, Lord, for you to touch us one more time, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for your people that have gathered themselves together tonight. God, we're prayerful for those, God, who are una unable to be here. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, this evening, God, touch us afresh. Open my mind and my understanding, God. Lord, your word, Lord, your word, let it become alive to me. Let your word be a clump alive to my mind and my soul and my spirit. Help us, God, Lord, I pray. I don't want it just to be another sermon on prayer, but, God, I want it to be something, God, that can minister to me and, God, to this grouping of people tonight, Lord, and help, God, position us, Lord, rightly. God, I pray, Lord, for this end time, God, for the society and the world in which we live. God, we'll thank you for it, Jesus, and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Church, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated tonight.
Look at your neighbor and say, repair the altar. First Kings chapter 18, our scripture reading this evening. This is undoubtedly a story that highlights the life of Elijah, the king of Ahab, and a woman by the name of Jezebel. The climate at this time in scripture, though, is one that may be best described as lifeless, somewhat depressing concerning the events that are taking right now in the scripture. For them at this time, for people in general, for livestock, for anything that's living, mere existence has just become a day-to-day goal that was worth achieving for them each day. If they could just arise each day and just kind of make it through another day, be able to have life another day, uh, they were achieving perhaps just as much as anybody could achieve of that day and that hour. As a matter of fact, just a short list of troubles defines the hour and the time that they were living in. Uh, Overall, among this region and of this particular people, their lives were every day, every day. Their lives were in jeopardy. Again, also the livestock. The livestock were dying on the left and on the right. People's numbers of livestock were decreasing very greatly. Among the fields of grain where they may have planted some of their grain, they're drooping over. Uh, They're waxing away. They are depleting. They are dying. Famine, on the other hand, is everywhere. It's all around. No doubt you understand if the fields are not doing good, the livestock's not doing good, then there is undoubtedly a famine in the land, and it is a threat. It's a threat to mankind. It's a threat to every individual. And as you would start to draw the lines, you would say, well, undoubtedly the the, the famine is there for a purpose and the grain is drooping over for some reason and the livestock, they're dying for some reason and the people's lives are in jeopardy for some reason and probably a very, very prominent reason why these things are as they are is the scripture tells us there has been no rain. There's been no rain for approximately three in a half years but can I say that all those things just aforementioned are nothing more but symptoms everybody say symptoms nothing more but symptoms the problem goes a whole lot deeper than dying livestock the problem goes deeper than men's lives that are in jeopardy it goes deeper than a famine even goes deeper than a very apparent three and a half year time of drought and no rain all those things were nothing but evidences of the true problem Evidences of the heart of the problem. The, 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 where the problem lies really here in Scripture is also where the answer lies as well. Where the problem was at is also where the answer was at. But the answer, if you were to look at it, it wasn't anything very uh, uh, impressive really just to look at. The answer was nothing more but an indistinguishable heap of rubbish broken down as a broken altar. Those few stones that were laying there in disarray were nothing more but testaments and mementos, if you will, to a people that have fell away from the worship of the one true God. Those stones were screaming nothing more but people who had given loyalties and commitments and had forgotten their loyalties and had forgotten their commitments. Those stones were just a voice talking about silenced prayers where there used to be men that would call upon the name of the Lord and fill the sky with petitions toward heaven. Now there was just a gross silence that was there at that altar. It was during this time 
that the king of Israel by the name of Ahab would marry Jezebel, who is the daughter of a priest to Baal. Some even say Jezebel herself was a priestess in her own right. Marrying a foreign uh, lady, bringing in with her her foreign gods, and ultimately doing that, bringing in a shift of allegiance for the children of Israel. Always had the true God to adore and to magnify and to worship and to praise to. Seemingly no other option within their camp, so to speak. But now with the bringing in of Jezebel and her gods, there brings in the possibility of another option brings in, if you will, a shifting of their allegiance, a little considering that if they get mad at God, they have option B. And people seek out option Bs whenever they get mad at God or the church or somebody. They're always looking for option B. But Scripture describes the altar that I'm speaking to you tonight. It describes it as being broken down. Now, there's something that we must be made clear from the onset tonight, and that is this. Things don't have to be physically disassembled and abused in order for them to become broken down. I've seen houses. I've seen vehicles broken down. Not necessarily because somebody mistreated them. Not because necessarily someone sabotaged them. But they were broken down as a result of pure neglect. Uh-huh. Most items, even in our lives today, have a tendency of just falling apart. Amen. Falling apart, becoming undone. I have a fifth wheel over here on the right, over here on the, my right side of this church. Uh, it's not the same recreation vehicle that it was six years ago when I first came here. Not the same vehicle it was six years ago. It's not because I've overused it. You all know I've not used it that much since I've been here for the past six years. But it's not what it used to be largely because it's been underused. It's been neglected to a certain degree. There's certain things over there that become broken down. And I didn't even use it. I had here a few years ago that there was a leak that came in the roof. I didn't even use it. But the leak came regardless. And it became broken down as a result of my neglect. It became broken down as a result of my underuse. Altars, might I say. Prayer lives don't break down necessarily because you use them too much. Or because you pray too often. Or because you prayed for far too many things. No, altars and prayer lives break down whenever we neglect them. When we despise them. They fall apart. They're not what they used to be. They don't have the vibrance or the power or the fortitude they used to have. Not because I overused it. Because I forsook from the altar. Of the Lord. They break down whenever they are ignored. They break down and they break down whenever there's a shift of allegiance from them to something else of prominence in life. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings 18 and verse 30 that Elijah said unto all the people, he said, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. 
Amen. After the Baal worshipers had already done everything they could do within their power to attempt to summon their gods, Elijah, after that, calls the people to come unto him. Amen. Uh, there's some people that say it like this, but I'll give you my weigh in on the subject matter. Standing on Mount Carmel was not one altar was not one altar that, that these bell worshipers went to and tried to offer their sacrifice. And then after they did that, Elijah came up to that same altar, repaired it, and tried to offer a sacrifice. No, he summoned them, come to me. They were in one position seemingly around their altar. And where they'd done everything they could do trying to summon their God, he then said, come to me. He would not have to do that if they were going to use the same altar. They'd already be where they needed to be. I believe tonight that there were two altars up on Mount Carmel. There was an altar that was unto Baal and there was a broken down altar that was unto the Lord. And understand well, any place where you have two altars, you'll always find one in well repair and you'll find the other that's in ill repair. Any juncture in the road where there are two altars. Because my scripture says very plainly in Matthew 6, 24 that no man can serve two masters. Our service usually involves an altar. But no man can serve two masters. There could not be properly up on Mount Carmel a altar to Baal that was in well repair and an altar to God that was in well repair. Because if you got two altars, you got two masters. If you got two altars, you have two places where you got to give your service and the Bible continues to say you'll either hate the one or you will then love the other you'll either hold to the one or you'll despise, you'll neglect you'll overlook, you'll ignore the other, you cannot serve God and mammon or the world and the things of the world so if there's two altars, there's going to be an altar that suffers there's going to be an altar that suffers can have two at the same juncture or crossroads in life. That's the reason why in Judges 6, the Gideon had been threshing wheat in the wine press, and he has an angelic visitation, and that's tremendous. And his purpose for what he was to do was confirmed by some various signs that he sought for. Amen. By the angel of the Lord as well. And having been encouraged in his faith and having been encouraged and, and set at ease, if you will, with peace with what God was about ready to do with him and what God expected of him, the Bible said that Gideon built an altar. And it seems like a very respectable action for him to build an altar. But as he builds an altar there, he, he returns and he goes back home to his daddy's house. Amen to his father's house. And there at daddy's house is standing an old altar back at daddy's house. And it's an altar unto Baal. It's an altar unto a pagan god. And God speaks to Gideon. He says, Gideon, he says, I need you to throw down. I want you to throw down that old altar to Baal that your daddy has. I want you to throw down that altar. And whenever you throw that altar down, son, he said you can build another altar unto the Lord. What were you doing, God? Why are you telling Gideon? To, why couldn't have he just built an altar to the Lord right there next to the other one? Because God understood any place that has two altars, somebody's going to have a tendency to be faithful to one and to neglect the other. And since Gideon's heritage was that, of a pagan heritage he knew he might fall in the trap of going back the old way he'd already knew he said you gotta throw that thing down and build 
build an altar unto the Lord because you can only be faithful to one altar. You can only be faithful to one altar. So he tears it down. He builds one unto the Lord because God undoubtedly knew the thing that would happen in the life of Gideon. But strategically located on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 would be an altar to Baal. The altar to the Lord predated the altar to Baal. But by adding another altar to that that place, that region, where the altar of the Lord already was, you have a conflict of interest. Because you can't give the same attention to both. It's an impossibility. You will invariably end up despising. You will invariably begin to neglect one. And the one that's neglected, the one that's despised, will be the one that's broken down. Not because of misuse, per se, abusing, tearing up, but because of non-use. Broken down because of non-use. I wonder sometimes if we could survey life and look at things concerning life and God and the things that pertain to God. That if we ever cast our eye over the shoulder and see some of those things broken down, we can't always lay a finger. It's because somebody disassembled something. Somebody abused something. It could be because we neglected something. There's another altar. There's another altar on the same Mount Carmel. And see, our enemy, this is the way he works. Not going to tear down the altar of the Lord. He's just going to have the altar of Baal erected right there beside close proximity to the altar of the Lord. Because it is the plan, it is the strategy of the enemy to have his own altars at those points and at those crossroads that you had one time dedicated to God. It's his theory, it's his strategy to have erected there. You know, if you don't fill your time, amen, with Bible study on Wednesday night, he wants a different altar erected that can take the place and position of that devoted time you would have there. If if, if your altar, literal altar or prayer time is in the morning or in the evening, whatever time of day it is, what he's looking for is another altar to be set right beside that altar. Amen. Not going to tear your old altar down. He's just going to give you another option so that if you'll invest in that option, that thing will become broken down by neglect, by despising, by non-use. Amen. Hallelujah. So he's not so much interested in us abusing our altar as much as he wants to divide our allegiance to our altar. Because if you give attention to his altar, As it goes, it may seem as though giving attention to his altars starts providing things in your life that you always wanted. You always desired. And the altar of the Lord didn't give me that. And over time, his altar may 
appeal more to my humanity. Appeal more to Paul McGee. Because it seems to give me what's pleasing and what I want. Because I tell you, God's altar doesn't always give me what I want. Quite on the contrary, there's sometimes it gives exactly the opposite of what I want. And so he'll put an altar in the proximity of God's altar. He's wanting it to be replaced. He's wanting you to shift allegiance. Because that fits what I want and that fits what I need. And I, um, God's altar's never been so consistent about giving me everything I want. And so we shift allegiances and we begin to neglect the altar of the Lord. And through that, his purpose has been satisfied for the purpose of having another altar there. He won't destroy our altar, amen, but he'll just increase our options. And our altar, the altar to God, will become broken down due to our disregard. Of the altar of the Lord. The Bible says in 1 Kings 18 and verse 24. He says, and call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire. Let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. The plan was very simple. The plan was very plain. You call on your gods, I'll call on the Lord God. The plan was prayer. You, call, you pray to what you, you revere as holy and respectful and godly. I'll pray to what I revere as godly and the most high. And the expected answer from this was fire. You pray that there might be and let there be fire. I'll pray to my God. And we hope and we pray that there might be fire. The answer, the expected answer to the prayers that either, either you or I utter is going to be fire. The Bible says that the prophets of Baal, they choose their bullock. They divide it up. They offer up their bullock. They pray. They call on the name of their gods. They pray. They pray for a long time. They pray for a long time. They pray for the better part of the day. They crawl up on their altar. They leap up and down on their altar. They cut themselves with knives. They're doing whatever necessary that they can do in order to get the attention of their gods. Whatever's net, they have all kinds of altar activity taking place. Whatever's necessary in order to get the attention of their gods. The Bible says there's ne there was never a voice. There was never an answer. There was never any regard. And there was certainly no answer by fire. There was no fire. And yet Elijah says, come on, gather over here. Come near to me. What they're needing, the expected answer that they are needing is fire. And I want you to know that the first thing that Elijah does for the preparation of God's fire is to repair the altar. Elijah's saying, I needed an expected answer of fire, but my first step in preparing for that is rebuilding an altar. Folks, we are not in any different circumstance in many places like that society. We are in depressing times. We are in life 
perilous times. We are in horrid times. We are in times that you better thank God you was able to get up the next day and have life and it wasn't taken from you during the night. We are living in times of famine, yes. We're living in times of earthquake, yes. We're living in times of war, yes, yes, yes. And the church needs to be looking for the fire. And the church needs to be looking for revival. And the church needs to be looking for vibrance. And the world... The world is looking for vibrance. I don't know how many times at that conference that you all went to that I was at, but the different pastors there that was telling me, Brother McGee, I had people coming in the, into our church, and you know what they're telling us? They're tired of the dead. They're tired of the dry. They're tired of that which has no life. The world is looking for life, and if that's what they're looking for, amen, we need to be just that. If they're looking for fire, we need to be just that. Amen, we're living in dismal times, but if we're expecting an answer of fire, it's going to start with the preparation of a repairing of an altar. Elijah says, before I cut up the bullock, before I get any water, before I lay any wood, I need to repair the altar because ultimately it's the altar that's going to necessitate the fire. Yes. It's going to come by an altar. You want to study church history. Now, I'm not just talking about apostolic church history. Church history overall. Any great awakening, any great revival, any great turning of God's people back toward the church, even their dogmas and standards, if they were misaligned with Scripture, any great turning of people back toward with a mindset of God, it always began with an altar. Always. Look at it time and time again. It always started with prayer. It always started with Prayer. Someone say amen. And hear me though. Here's the perplexing issue. You cannot repair something and neglect it at the same time. I know that's elementary and I know you didn't have to get a college education to understand what I just said. But you cannot repair something and neglect it at the same time. Because repairing the altar for Elijah meant he's going to have to give some attention to the altar. Repairing the altar meant that his interest was going to have to be in the altar. Repairing the altar meant he was going to have to spend some time around the altar. He's going to have to get his hands on the altar. In modern day language, sometimes when something has been broken down or not used in a while, it costs you something. In order to get it back and well repaired, sometimes uh, your investment and you being forthright with the, with the altar means you have to invest something. It's going to cost something in order to repair the altar. So I'm going to get my hands on this. I said, I'm going to repair this altar. I'm expecting an answer of fire. My first means of preparation then is to repair the altar. I just... You think you, by preparing an altar, is going to mean there's fire? I believe so. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 29, a little short verse of scripture. It says, for our God is a, everybody say, consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Elijah knew 
that whenever he called on his God, whenever he talked to his God, he knew that the fire would come with his God. It's not as though that he had to call upon God and then over here call on fire. It's not as though he had to talk to God and then pray that there might be fire. He knew if he could get his God's presence, then he had fire because his God was a consuming fire. Honey, I, I don't want, I, we do things around here that's great and wonderful, but I don't need the, the, the greatest craze cutting edge gimmick. I don't need that to bring the fire. What I need is a concentration. But what I need is a dedication to the altar, a dedication to prayer, a dedication to God because if we get dedicated, if we get sold out to the altar, sold out to prayer, sold out to God the fire just comes with my God my God is fire it's not a 10 step 2 step every other weekend program it's a daily program at the altar in prayer that will bring the fire of God some would say yes didn't have to somehow summon each of these separately no whenever he talked to God he was talking to the fire Whenever that presence came down to meet him, fire came down to meet him. Elijah was confident. Don't you think he wasn't going to have this little scenario all set up if he wasn't confident? You think he's going to say, hey, you, you call on your God, you and whoever, you think he's going to do that if he wasn't confident? You know what's going to come through? You know, I, I know very many kids that look at another and say, you want to race? Without him, say, I bet you I could beat you. Elijah was confident that fire was going to fall because he was confident about his God. More importantly, he was confident about his altar. <laughs> so he's confident the fire is going to fall. And he's so certain of this, he's confident that the fire was going to fall, but it wasn't going to fall independent of an altar of prayer. He knew it was going to come, but he knew it wasn't going to come without an altar of prayer. And so, we even read in Scripture that, well, you know, where's, where's the Scripture that makes this so important to us? David shared the secret. Listen, David shared the secret. That's all right, Sister Trout. Hallelujah. Will you raise your hands right now to the Lord? Amen. Let's just worship the Lord with her. Worship God with her. God, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Yes, 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 God, I love you. I love you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, God hears that. Hallelujah. God hears that. Oh, you know, that doesn't just take place here. That takes place at home, too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Listen, the enemy will start making propositions whenever you invest in your altar. 
He'll start to make propositions of other altars for you to pay attention to whenever you start investing in the altar of the Lord. He'll do it every time. I'll just say this because God's blessed Sister Brenda so much. She came through the line one time. And she was shaking hands, and she says, have you heard from Brother Harrison a while? I hear from Brother Harris here and there, but so happened the day that she spoke of it. Yes, I'd heard from Brother Harris. He was in a horrible shape, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, just in a horrible shape, and I didn't say it to her that night. I don't believe, but she said, Brother McGee, she says, I was up. This is whenever she was going through all of her sickness, all of her trouble. She says, Brother McGee, I was up earlier or late at night, and he was on my heart, and I Pray for him. God said he's in trouble. He needs prayer. What are you talking about? Let me tell you, the enemy will pull out all the stops and attack you whenever you don't neglect your altar. Whenever you're faithful to it, you go on and get ready. He'll come down the pike. He'll try to deter you. He wants to shift your allegiance. Hallelujah. But be faithful, faithful, faithful to your altar. Keep it in good repair. Keep the maintenance upon it because when you encounter God, you'll encounter the fire and his fire consumed the sacrifice. Sacrifice. His fire consumed the wood, the water, the stones, things that were not even thought of to be able to be consumed. The fire consumed it. That takes place by no other reason but the presence of God. Whenever you pray to God and his fire falls, his fire can consume the things that doctors, lawyers, neighbors, and other people in your family say can't never be done. God says I'll show up. I'm God. I'm the fire. I can consume anything. It's not just for an individual, but as a church. If you find yourself as a church pressing, amen, against some unpressable things, seem like it's not moving, it's not letting up, get back to the altar, repair the altar, let God fall, let the fire fall. It'll consume the things we can't consume. It will. By means of an altar. By means of an altar. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh huh. Hallelujah. And I feel the rolling of the presence of the Lord just coming in this place. Hallelujah. David shared the secret on how prayer can guarantee, if you will, the nearness of God. He said, Psalms 145 and verse 18. He said, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. The God's word translation states it like this. The Lord is near to everyone who prays to him. To every faithful person who prays to him. Elijah says, I need fire. But in order to have fire, I need God. But in order to have God, I'm going to have to have a little talk with Jesus. I need fire, but I need God. In order to get God, I got to pray. Because if I pray, the Lord is near. Those that talk to him, those that pray to him, those that call upon him, so Elijah's saying, God, and God's saying, Elijah, and lo and behold, here comes the fire. Woo! 
when I don't neglect it, but I pray at it, and I pay attention to it, God comes near. When I don't neglect the altar of my life, but I pray consistently at that altar of my life, God's presence is ever near. And while his presence is ever near, his fire to consume the unconsumable is ever near. The contrast is tremendous. The prophets of Baal and they carry on with their lengthy prayer for the better part of the day. But here in 1 Kings 18, Elijah prays in our English a 63-word prayer. If it were in Hebrew, it would even be shorter word-wise. That's not long. Matter of fact, you sat down right now and you read the words of Elijah's prayer, you might be able to knock that thing off in 20 seconds. Unless you kind of draw it out. Hear me, oh Lord. I mean, if you draw it out, you might get, you know, 45 seconds. But a 63-word prayer. This is the prayer in verse 36, starting with the actual words. Now Elijah prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day. I think I used all those up down there and never brought them back. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things. Look at this now. At thy word. The repairing of the altar, that was your instruction. The sacrifice, the trench, the water. That was at your instruction. You told me to repair the altar, pray at the altar. That's your instruction. At your word. He says, hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. This is very important tonight, to me at least. Elijah could have prayed for fire. But he didn't. He could have prayed for rain that they were in great need of. But he didn't. You're taking audience with the king, Elijah, and you're expecting an answer of fire that might have been good to include. You all have livestock dying, the fields, they're drooping over, everything's, you're just all just a day away from extermination, it seems, and you didn't ask for any rain? What is in your ever-living mind, Elijah? I believe emphatically tonight that he knew as badly as rain was needed, Brother Zach McGee, that the people needed a revival more than they needed the rain. His prayer to God was, God, turn their hearts. Turn the people's hearts back again. Back to what, God? Turn the people's hearts back to your altar again, Lord. 
because I only came to today and it was as it was today because your people have turned their heart away from your altar. They've neglected your, it's in broken down because of neglect. It's broken down because it's been torn down. Amen. By their, their forsakening and their neglect. So turn their hearts back toward your altar. More so than the rain, God give us a revival of men's hearts. Because if men's hearts will be right with you, God, the rain will come. The fire will come. The livestock will be fed. There'll be food in the field. People won't be asking whether or not they're going to see tomorrow because all those things are just symptoms. The problem is a neglected altar. And so God, instead of me asking for you to soothe one of the symptoms, I'm asking God that you'd help them see and correct the problem. Get back to the altar. Elijah's call when he said come near to me was a call back to their altar because he knew sister Margaret that if he could bring Israel back to their altar and bring the altar back to Israel then it would bring God back to that nation if you'll stand with me tonight maybe it's a worn out cliche but whenever a nation get back, gets back to prayer they get back to God And they'll have fire just because it is who he is. In closing tonight, the process of all these different sermons over this month, and yet some in our future. Perhaps in some regards, we are, for those who never have, we are calling some to build an altar. Those who never have. We're calling some to build an altar. But for others of us, we're just calling you back to repair an altar. And what's so interesting about that, and even Elijah with those people, whenever he was speaking to them there at that position at that altar, there's something I want you to notice. Elijah wasn't calling God's people to a place that they had never been. Elijah wasn't calling God's people to a place they'd never been. They had known that altar. They had sacrificed at that altar. They had worshipped at that altar. He was just calling them to get back to paying attention to that which had been in their life before. If we bow our heads in this place. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.